Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. And this is our fourth season. We're looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor. I'm Matthew Fox from the Ethical Panda family of podcasts. And I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And today we're talking about Minute 71, which begins with Loki offering a deal and ends with Heimdall declaring that Odin is his king. Joining us on the show today, we have Bubba Weech from the Flights, Tights, and Movie Nights podcast. Now, because of the inclusion of the L, I'm guessing that is Superman, not professional wrestling, correct? That is correct. <laughs> yes, tell, tell us a little bit about that podcast you do. My site is uh, started out as I have actually done over 500 written reviews for superhero movies. Um, I, I started almost 10 years ago now. Um, and then my main podcast, it's my current focus, is called It's Time to Rewind. And I'm focusing on covering time loop movies and TV shows one loop at a time. And uh, I started the first season with Groundhog Day. And this second season, I am going through episodes of The Twilight Zone. Wow. You know, you're a braver person than I am. And normally at some point over this week, we're going to be recording together. I would try to worm my way in to get an invite onto someone else's podcast. <laughs> I'm on record as absolutely hating time loops. They break my brain. So I'm <laughs> so glad you're having fun with that. And all the people who hate me ranting about it, check out that podcast. <laughs> we'll be back though to hear all your thoughts on Loki and Thor after the quick moment. We would love to have you join us in our conversation about Thor and the minutes we're discussing this week and really, I mean, anything else going on in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You want to talk about Hawkeye? Let's talk about Hawkeye. You want to talk about Loki? Let's talk about Loki. We have a growing group of Marvel fans who we would love to have you join over in our Discord server. Head over to truestory.fm slash Marvel Movie Minute and just click on the Discord link. It's that easy, and then you're right there in the conversation with all of us. All right, so we start this minute back where we were at the end of last week, where Loki is talking to Laufey, and this time he's offering a deal. We kind of got the sense that he was building up to this. He is explaining that, of course, he can't kill Odin. You know, as he says, like, you know, killing your predecessor to take the throne— isn't really looked well upon in um, Midgardian history, which is a little weird because we keep talking about how Shakespearean the movie is. It's very Shakespearean. Um, but he says, you know, once Odin is dead, I will return the casket to you. What, what's your take on kind of how sincere do you think Loki is being or what, what kind of jumps out to you about this scene as Loki is offering this deal? Well, I'm, I think it's interesting because I, I, I know that he found out that Lofi is his father. And I think it's interesting that he never brings that up. And, and I do think that that's, um, that has to do with him being like the runt of the litter. And I get the feeling that him telling Lofi that he is his son and that he was taken would actually decrease his bargaining power in this discussion. That's an interesting point, especially because in the script, he does bring it up. And and Laufey is just like, oh, so you're the bastard, th bastard son. I was wondering what happened to you. Like, I figured Odin would have killed you. That's what I would have done. It's like, <laughs> I mean, he's he, it's almost like, is it any better if he would have said uh, that that you're my father? So, yeah, I feel like 
it's just this, it's, you know, it's a chess piece that he's kind of, you know, keeping in his yeah. uh, back pocket that he can play later if he needs to. But right now, it's it's certainly is interesting because it's like he doesn't necessarily need to do that. He's just able to kind of put together this this plan to and i i think it's interesting that clearly he knows they're they want this casket and i'm assuming it's obviously i mean when he was negotiating with those three frost giants that we saw earlier in the film to come in and steal it that this is what they want this is the power for their planet this keeps them going basically and so this is the chance to finally get that back which i i find a very interesting bargaining chip that he's kind of pushed onto the table here and and I actually had a theory about him um, with the group of the three frost giants. Yeah. Since, you know, Luffy doesn't, he hasn't met Loki. He doesn't know that Loki was behind their trip into Asgard because he's like, oh, you were the one. Yeah, right, right. I, I think that the way that he got those frost giants to Asgard was through his typical mind control trick where he just controlled one of them. And then use that one to convince the other two. It's like, hey, I know this passage. Mm. And that, and I think that's how they he got them into Asgard. Okay, that's that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, I yeah. can definitely see that. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah, and definitely in terms of the um, for the Jotunheim perspective, you know, Laufey, just the minute Loki says, you know, once Odin is dead, I will return the casket to you. He rises to his feet. Um, he's, he really seems very eager about this, and which is interesting because he's tried to play everything all the way back to when Thor came, very cool, very much like we don't need you. It, is this because he's he of what he knows about Loki, or is he just that desperate to get his hands on the casket again? I think that it's it's him seeing an opportunity and using what he can tell about Loki right now, and uh, I like that. You know, he seems eager, but at the same time, he is, uh, I believe he's still very slow and deliberate with his actions. Like, it's not like he jumps out of his seat. It's, you know, a very slow rise. And he's like, we have a deal. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. And I can't help but think that part of it also may be that they are actually weakened. I mean, we, as we kind of, it's been alluded to, they take, you know, when when Odin takes the casket of ancient winters off the planet, I mean, when Thor and and Warriors 3, Sif, Loki, when they all come down, we see chunks of it kind of floating off of it. The planet, like everything's falling apart when they're walking through it, like things keep crumbling to the ground as they're just walking. Clearly, like this whole place is falling apart. And I can't help but think that maybe the Frost Giants as just an entire race are just weakened because they don't have it on their planet. It's almost like, you know, Frosty when he's melting, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, he's just kind of like a little a little soft and mushy around the edges. And so it, it really makes me think that there is this element to them. Like, he really wants to go to war. And as far as he's concerned, like, he should be in war right now, as it kind of he alluded to earlier. But I think that they just, you know, he knows if they actually did go to war that they would lose because they're weak. And... I'm I don't know the more I I look at these scenes in this film I really start kind of getting that perspective of these frost giants just having been since 965 AD to now without the casket they're really weak and it's I I think that that's an certainly an angle to look at here yeah and and it wouldn't surprise me if Loki whenever he was told about his heritage that the thought crossed his mind have at taking over 
uh, Jotunheim. But I, I think at this point, he probably doesn't even really consider that as an option because, like you said, it is, you know, it, it's like a race on their way out. It's like, why do I want to, why do I want to conquer this hellhole? I'd rather just take over, you know, the rich country, the rich realm of Asgard and just destroy this one. I think the thing is, though, I, t- I very much agree with both of you, and certainly we get a little more of Loki's thoughts on Jotunheim in, in just a second, in a very condescending, hilarious way. <laughs> I think, though, that this is not just that the Jotuns are falling apart, but that Laufey very much knows his power is fading. Yeah. You know, the last time we saw him, this arrogant upstart whelp of the son of his ancient enemy came into his into his kingdom, into his castle, and he said, look, you're going to die. You and your friends are going to die. And then instead, um, his beast got killed. A lot of his people got killed. And then daddy came back and said, don't worry, we'll figure it out. And then not a word's been heard. Like, I, I think we're definitely supposed to get the sense that, like, Laufey knows his own power is slipping. And he needs to do something or else some of the other Jotuns are going to say, wait, why are you our king? Why shouldn't someone else be? Because all, all you, you've just got a big L on your forehead. And it's not for Laufey. <laughs> maybe it's two l's on his forehead then there you go there you go there's no bean at the end um so it, and then we do get to um you know as part of the negotiation loki then makes very clear his thoughts on jodenheim as he says that i'm going to return jodenheim to all its uh glory as he's looking around and it's just such the like you know, mom coming into your room and saying like, oh, yeah, you you have a very nice place here and you can see the judgment and, and derision. This doesn't seem to be the way to make an ally. What What's Loki thinking here? Is he just unable to twist the knife? Does he think this is actually helping his position by kind of negging Laufey? Like, what's going on here? Yeah, I, I think it's a show of strength because he knows that that is Laufey's, um, you know, reason detra that's that is what laufey responds to he responds to strength and so that's his subtle show of strength that he's you know, he's above them and that it would behoove Lofi to uh, ally with him and and uh you know that's uh that it would strengthen laufey's position i think exactly the way that you're describing that makes perfect sense and i think that that power position that Loki is approaching this with very much speaks to kind of um, you know using his power to to get that other um, royal pissed off to say or to to kind of say yeah damn right I want my casket back because he knows that he can have power again too if he gets it back it's like you know a king coming into another king's. Uh, chambers and pointing out the holes in the other king's robe. And then that king is going to get pissed and, and want the finest tailor to come in and make him the finest robe possible sort of thing, you know? And it's it's that whole that whole mentality that he's... I, I think it's just another way that he's using his uh, power and his derision of, of Laufey and really Jotunheim and the Frost Giants in general to kind of push Laufey to absolutely agree to this plan. Yeah, I think that's right. And and then Laufey does, and he gives this kind of great slow roll of an answer with, I accept. And I want to talk about this moment both sort of in the story and then as a as a movie-making technique. What in story, what's going on there? Is it that it's just it's hard for him to bring himself to say it? Does he want to just 
add a little bit of mystery about what he's going to say? What What's going on there? Is he just a frost giant who speaks slowly because everything's so cold? <laughs> that, that was what I was going to say. You know, it, it's just cold and, you know, it's not in, in the heat of battle. So he just does everything slowly because it, it is so cold and he doesn't have the, the power of the, the casket of, uh, of winter. I mean, he always has spoken fairly deliberately the way mm-hmm. that his his uh, um, his pattern is. But even here, it feels a little slower than usual. And my sense of that was uh, maybe he read that he stood up a little too excitedly or, or just he played his hand really by standing. And so he's trying to like temper uh, Loki's kind of expectations and, and thoughts about his position and accepting in a way that's a little less enthusiastic just to kind of just to downplay it. Uh, that's uh, that's kind of the way I'm reading it. This is the you want to leave Loki on red for a couple hours, not look not look too desperate kind of a thing. Yeah. And as a movie making technique, what what do you think the director's going for there? Is, is it just because that's what what Laufey does? Is the idea that we're supposed to think for half a second that maybe he's going to say something very different? <laughs> Considering that that they've used that trick a few times in the film, I <laughs> yeah. wouldn't have been surprised. Although I would have said, "All right." You've done that a little too many times now, Kenneth. Uh, let's let's stop Never playing that game. <laughs> have I allowed? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I, I guess to that end, um, I, I'm glad that it wasn't just. I don't think it was designed to be like that. It just feels very just slow and deliberate. And uh, yeah, I just I feel like it. It ends up having more weight, and I guess that's the way I see it, especially the way that that Laufey's head is positioned, that kind of like downward like look like I accept. It's just a very deliberate way to say that. So then uh, the script would have Loki give one more kind of turn and smile. I think uh, we're pretty glad he doesn't do that. It'd be a little bit uh, too on the nose. But he does come back through the Rainbow Bridge and for him, it just looks like he just got off the London Underground. Like, you know, everyone else, (laughs) it's this kind of crazy journey. He just walks right off like it's just a train station and Heimdall is right there. And immediately these two are into some kind of thing. And I guess it's funny because we don't even see Heimdall looking disturbed. We just see the back of him and Loki coming in and saying, what troubles you, gatekeeper? I love Heimdall. I, I think that even though he's given so little to do, that he's my favorite character in, in the Thor universe. And he just exudes this stoic like potential energy that he's always ready to go but he's bound by his duty to his king and it's um it's almost like kind of like in in Watchmen with Dr. Manhattan you know Loki is someone who reads people so well that he knows how to read Heimdall that these subtle changes in his uh, in his position shows him being upset I, I mean that's the way i read it too although i do think thinking back to when we first see loki approach heimdall early in the film as they're getting ready to go to jotunheim uh, you know loki kind of spins this little story for heimdall and it just falls flat like heimdall's like yeah whatever before thor comes in and kind of intercedes and so it, it is interesting that like that, you know, Loki might have been, 
you know, maybe he should have used a little more of his ability to read Heimdall in that earlier stage, too. Well, and I have to say, their conversation reads so true to me because, you know, I'm in Minnesota, the land of the Vikings. Uh, we are a very Norse culture here. And so these two utter refusal to use direct communication is just it fits so perfectly. You know, they're just talking in this very shrouded, like, I turned my gaze upon you. I could neither see nor hear you. You were frosted like the fro- you were shrouded like the frost giants. And then Loki says, perhaps your senses have weakened. And Heimdall comes back or perhaps some perhaps someone has found a way to hide that which he does not wish me to see. Like, this is such a Minnesota conversation. Of, like, <laughs> it's like two parents I- arguing in front of their children and they don't right? want to. Like, the children to know that they're arguing. Someone. I don't know who it could be. <laughs> what a coincidence that you're like, I, I, I love it. <laughs> Somebody didn't leave the milk out again. Uh-huh. I, I think it was very fitting for these two, especially because it feels like they're kind of like testing each other, you know, because up till now, Heimdall has had a lot of power over Loki. Heimdall worked directly for Odin. He could close the Bifrost to anyone, including Loki. Now, Heimdall, in uh, in theory, officially works for Loki, and they're kind of, but Heimdall doesn't trust it. And, I, I, and to me, this is kind of, it's like two boxers dancing around each other in a ring. What, what do you get from the way they're, they're interacting here? Yeah, I, I get that Heimdall is totally struggling between his morals and his duty. And his morals, he knows that Loki is up to something, but his duty is that Loki is currently his king. And he has to obey his king. And so he's struggling with those two. And and I think that Idris Elba just plays that so well, despite, you know, barely moving, barely speaking, (laughs) like just having this complete stone face. But he's still able to convey that just with the the pauses in in his uh, speech. It it reminds me in some ways of um, Okoye in Black Panther, who at least at first has that moment where she says, you know, look, Killmonger is now my king. My loyalty is to the throne. And of course, she changes sides pretty quickly. But I think it's a very similar situation of I hate the person who's on the throne. I don't trust how they got to the throne. But that's where I can't stand against them quite yet. Yeah, it's an interesting perspective that I, I would imagine is difficult for anyone who is in a position of uh, changing of the guard, as it were, uh, when a new king comes in and, uh, you know, starts kind of putting in new orders and changing the way that things are run. I mean, it's it's going to be hard for people. And you can see why in a lot of these sorts of situations, that new person is going to replace a lot of people with people that they would rather have in those particular roles. And, you know, I guess that just doesn't happen in Midgard. And obviously it's only been a day. So, you know, it, it hasn't, there hasn't been quite enough time to find, <laughs> find the new replacement for, uh, you know, the, the, the gatekeeper of the Himmenbjörg. Uh, but yeah, it's, it, there is something that is very interesting in the way that Heimdall, can see and and what I love about Heimdall as a character is you know he he has this incredible vision to view across the nine realms and he, you know he can watch Thor as he's struggling on Midgard he can look at Jotunheim and see that that uh, Loki's not there but I do think that it's interesting that when Loki comes back it's it is that countenance of of Heimdall's that that Loki sees almost as if he is looking into him at this point. It's mm-hmm. not just seeing him here, but it's like looking into him and knowing he's up to no good. And that's that's a really interesting aspect of Heimdall 
um, that I definitely enjoy and certainly wish they had been able to kind of develop more over the over the films. I mean, certainly if nothing else, I think the implication is supposed to be that Heimdall has been watching everything that's happening with Thor. And so Heimdall probably saw that scene where Loki talked to Thor and, you know, where Loki was telling some truths, but mixing in an awful lot of lies and manipulations. And, and so, yeah, that may have raised some eyebrows or all sorts of other things. It certainly does make you think that because we see Thor there before he's in the in the holding cell we see you know we we see him getting taken by the shield agents there and then we cut to that fantastic shot of Idris Elba's eye with the reflection of of the uh, uh of the shield crater base and so we know he is looking in on him and um but in the script it's just interesting that when Loki disappears it has him disappear in kind of a a green and yellow mist which feels very much like loki magic rather than bifrost but it is interesting like because when he does look up is heimdall looking down and seeing him there talking to his brother or perhaps and we've never addressed this perhaps well i don't know would heimdall recognize loki from because he's as we know he's seeing everybody from the tops so it's a little tricky but is that why loki might have put the that outfit on I feel like Heimdall's got to have some kind of, like, ability to adjust the view, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. Camera one, camera two. Camera one, <laughs> camera two. Because they're also, like, ha- like, there's a hundred surfers on a California beach who look just like Thor. You know? Like, that's going to be a problem. <laughs> right. It's, it's his Asgardian vision, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if Loki shrouded his conversation with Thor. And so he he didn't, like Heimdall didn't confront him at that point, but Heimdall was probably also thinking at, at, at that moment, like, you know, I, I looked at you, but I couldn't see you. Right. That's really yeah. possible. Uh, and then, of course, we get uh, Loki. It, for me, at least, it feels like he kind of shifts gears because he now says, you have great power, Heimdall. Did Odin ever fear you? Uh, no, why is that? And then he says, because he is my king. And we'll get to that line in a second. But what's, what's Loki going for here? Why, why is he kind of going down this line of questioning? I, I think it's, again, just like with Laufey, it's, it's his um, show of power. Mm-hmm. Like he, he, he knows that he's the king. And so he's, at this point, he is completely controlling the conversation. He knows what Heimdall is going to say. He's setting up Heimdall's response. Right. And, like, he is completely in control of this conversation at this point. And and it almost, like, the way that he's in control, it almost makes me think that during his stumble, during his first confrontation with Heimdall, that it's possible that he did that in, on purpose in order to allow Thor to be the hero, the allow Thor to be the one that actually got them to Jotunheim. Yeah, that would make sense. Well, and, I mean, as we know, your your point makes perfect sense. Also, you know, he might have still been in that position where he was trying to purposefully, you know, put them in a place where they didn't get to Jotunheim because that wasn't his goal. His goal was to kind of screw things up and get Thor in trouble. He didn't necessarily want to make the trip. uh, So he he could have been doing that in the hopes of finding a way to kind of make it fail. And I love the way you talk about that in terms of the power dynamic, because I think that's there, especially because he's kind of 
in the one hand, he's both ta- talking about how powerful Heimdall is, but also like kind of taking all his power away because he's basically saying like, look, I know you're super powerful and I know my father never had to fear you because you won't rise against the king. Yeah. Like that, that's also, it, it's this very kind of subtle, like three dimensional chess of he, on one level of saying like, look, you could kill me. I know that, but I know, I know Odin never had to fear you. And so I shouldn't either. Yeah. Like the way that 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 he plays this conversation, I, I just I love the way that it unfolds. You know, did Odin ever fear you? No. And why is that? Because he is my king. Like just it is exactly like you said, that kind of three dimensional chess game that he's he's moving these pieces by asking just the right questions to get Heimdall to say just the right answers so that he can, can come in in the next minute and uh, kind of, you know, kind of finish that and but it's just I, I love the way he does that it's just it's very smart well so that that raises my last question and i guess you could put it as like is heimdall playing three-dimensional chess or is he playing checkers here and loki's running rings around him because heimdall's response is because odin is my king and he doesn't put the emphasis on is but i do because we know that by the laws of asgard as we've seen loki is king right now he's not regent he's not like king in waiting he is king and in theory, that will change when Odin wakes up again. So is Heimdall like playing back a little bit and saying like Odin is still the real king or is Heimdall just like he just hasn't caught up yet? Yeah, I, I think that Heimdall is he he feels that Loki is acting king. Yeah. He's just temporary king. But Odin is still the once and future king. So the is is kind of he, he is trying to needle Loki a little bit and saying like could He's kind of say, he's kind of intentionally not acknowledging that Loki is king right now. Yeah, that's yeah, and that's how I feel. Like he's he's just saying, you know, Odin will be back, and I am working hard to not have to make decisions that he would look down on, knowing that he'll come back because he'll be disappointed that these decisions were made. And so it's uh, yeah, it's pretty. But you're right. It is a different game. (laughs) He's like, it's like he doesn't realize exactly what Loki's about to how he Loki's kind of Mm -hmm. changing this conversation here. Right. Well, I think that's about all we have for this minute. Uh, For either of you, is there any last things you wanted to bring up or touch on? No, that's all I got. I just wanted to talk about the um, the the turret real quick and just the fantastic design that the the uh, the uh, artists did with it like once he comes through it once loki arrives here again you get that fantastic um kind of kind of spinning down of the motors as it were you see kind of the turret behind him just kind of continuing to slow 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 and we keep cutting back and it's just going slower and slower and i i love that look of it and and it's just it it's it i don't know i find that it's really well done as a construct and the fact that obviously they kind of keep thinking about that even though we have the scene going on in the foreground the technical side of how the himmenbjorg works is going to continue in the background and we'll actually continue it into the next minute and i'll i'll bring it up again there because i i just i find it really interesting the way they do that so um again i this is probably my favorite location in asgard it's i just i find it so creative in such an interesting way to kind of have crafted this thing yeah it's really well done and the other thing i wanted to bring up is uh, we talked a couple of times about how different that scene on jodenheim is especially in terms of loki revealing himself and all that the other big difference is that 
it, it continues to be much more on the nose, you know. Uh, Laufey says, Asgard will be ours, and, and then Loki says, no, it will be mine. And it's just, to me, I feel like the <laughs> script didn't quite understand how subtle a character Loki is. Yeah. And whether it's rewrite, you know, a new person rewriting the script or Branagh or just Tom Hiddleston himself, I feel like they capture what Loki should be much more than the script would have. That is very mustache twirly <laughs> to yeah. say, no, it will be mine. <laughs> exactly. You know, it just, exactly. It's too much. All right. Well, um, Bubba Wheat, for those folks who are just hearing you for the first time, uh, where can they find uh, more of your podcasting? Yeah, the, my main site is flightstitesandmovienights.com. That's where I keep my written reviews, and that's also where I share my podcasts. Uh, my main podcast project right now is It's Time to Rewind. I'm currently going through the time loop episodes of the twilight zone which there were there were three in the classic series and there's two in the jordan peele series and uh i'm going through them loop by loop and uh you can find that on anchor.fm and you can find me on twitter at bubbleweeds and i also have a facebook group it's time to rewind a time loop group if you want to join that <laughs> Awesome. You know, definitely check those out. And to our fans, thank you always so much as always. Uh, check out all the other podcasts on the Next Real Family podcast. Check out my podcast over at the theethicalpanda.com and superhero ethics and all those. And most importantly, have a great day. Until next time, true believers. Wahahaha. <laughs> Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is One Last Ride by Martin Puringer. Find the show at truestory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. 